Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at Burrow.com slash ACAST. That's Burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. G-A-L-D-E-M. G-A-L-D-E-M. <laughs> this song is good. Welcome to season three of Growing Up with Galdem, inspired by our book, I Will Not Be Erased, our stories about growing up as people of colour. My name is Charlie Brankhurst-Cuff. I'm the editor-in-chief at Galdem. Galdem is an award-winning media company committed to platforming the voices, perspectives and creative work of people of colour of marginalised genders. Each week on the podcast, we invite a guest to respond to old diary entries, letters or text messages from their younger selves. The point is to nurture important discussions about growing up. I'm Natty Katambala. I'm a former editor and longtime contributor at Galdem. You can find Growing Up with Galdem on Apple Podcasts, the Acast app, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Today, we're joined by the amazing Naomi Shimada, who is an author, model, and broadcaster based in London. Her work attempts to encourage practices of care and tenderness with ourselves and the world around us. She made her name speaking out against the oppressive body standards of the modelling industry. And her first book, co-authored with journalist Sarah Raphael, Mixed Feelings, Exploring the Emotional Impact of Our Digital Habits, was published by Quadrille in autumn of 2019. She's currently doing an MA at the Centre for Gender Studies at SOAS. So great to have you here on the show with us, Naomi. Your Instagram constantly sparks joy for me and I'm sure so many other people. How are you doing today? Thank you for having me. I am happy to be here with you all. It's funny when people say that stuff to me about Instagram, I feel like I'm at a point in my life where I'm really making, like I feel so separate to who, not not to say that person isn't me, mm. but I just like, 
my life feels so far away from social media. I have such a strange relationship to it now. Yeah. I wonder how we get to know each other, especially in a time where we can't be together. That is like beyond that. It's not, I, I don't have the answers, but you know, like the more I sit and think about how all that stuff is constructed, you know, and I think I miss being with real people and really being able to people know me for me and not through like a tile on, on their phone, you know? Do you feel separate from it in a good way? Yeah, I think it is healthy. And I think because I've analyzed that or like I have, you know, I've had a really strange, uh, an amazing career trajectory. But, you know, I started modeling when I was so young that I had no context for what it meant to objectify oneself or commoditize oneself when I started. You know, I started working in this industry when I was like 13 years old. Like, who are you when you're 13? You know, and because the show is about growing up too, I feel like how we glamorize fame from when we're, how we're socialized to glamorize and put like visibility and fame on a pedestal in our society, it's dangerous, you know? And I think it's also puts, especially when you are in a woman's body or any kind of marginalized body to take up space on this like weird pedestal Sometimes, you know, like you have no understanding for what you can't quite contextualize yet, you know, and why you're there, how people are perceiving you. All of that changes so much with age. I, I mean, I can only speak for myself and my own experience, but how I am seen, how I am photographed, the images I create, like all of that stuff is so much more deep to me than it was when I was younger, or even a couple handful of years before. Like, is it just a pick on the gram? Once you start, like, deconstructing it it's, it's so crazy but I think it's just healthy to question and while we're in it as a person that is in this space and takes up space like this this is what it's like to be in my head mm. <laughs> what is it all like, for but, it's, but like it's not just a picture yeah it's not just an image it's not just whatever it's not just a selfie it's not just it's not that deep like it actually is and that's why using it doesn't feel like this carefree thing for me anymore I don't feel free on there it's not a place where I go to express who I am anymore and I think like how the internet has changed like robbed me of that in a way that I'm fine with but I'm just more aware of and so where do you look to express yourself these days especially in a world where you know we're confined to specific spaces you know what it's with myself at home behind closed doors like the need to be visual or be need to be seen, that need feels like so much less than it used to for me. I think the years that I have been sitting in this headspace has helped me in this moment in time, right? Because I think what a lot of people are also struggling with is like, oh, well, we can't be together. How can I be seen? Or just the weirdness of how the world is falling apart, but we're still like, look at this thing I did, you know? But like as a sense of grasping at normality and stuff. And I'm not gonna say that this is how I always feel, but at the moment, I feel quite at peace with not really doing anything and not really shouting about something cool that I'm doing because I'm not doing I'm not really doing anything. This is like the only interview that I'm doing at the moment because I don't want to be quoted right now. I don't want to speak right now. I just I want to respect the moment and be quiet, you yeah. know, like and be held. It sounds like as well in, in this bubble. Yeah, and just respect it, you know? 
like I said, I don't think we can quantify. And so many people are struggling, so much suffering. And I'm just trying to hold space for that right now. Yeah, it kind of feels like it's just incomparable to any other moment in our respective lives, I think, this particular moment, which for me is why it's quite nice to reflect on growing up and being a baby in those those moments of um, sadness and joy and 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 things that are so far removed from our current scenario ignore it but just because it's nice to to have that sort of split focus I think but you know what actually Charlie for me though like my piece reminds me how much I've always been around death and suffering and like that has actually set a tone to my life and how much that is part of living and being human and part of the lie that so much of us have been socialized to believe that life is painless yeah and it's not perfect polished yeah like suffering is part of us being alive and I'm not to say that the context and the extent to the suffering that's happening in the world I'm not normalizing that or saying not you're not saying that that's not a big deal because of course it is but I think part of the shock to our system is also like this idea that we're not supposed to feel pain and that this, you know, that somehow we can we can go through life without feeling it because it's just not true. And I feel like reading my piece back to myself or like I haven't seen this thing in years and years and years. Like I never thought about it. I didn't even know it existed, but made me think about how it's always been a prevalent part of my life. Yeah. Do you think you could read it for us now? Okay, so this piece is a piece of French homework that I did when I'm guessing I was about 12 years old. And just as background context, I had just moved to the south of Spain where I am right now with my family. I was born in Tokyo. My father's Japanese. And the move predominantly happened because my father passed away just a couple years earlier. And um, my mother being the foreign woman in a Japanese family, you know, she just wanted to change her life and us to have a different, you know, just I think like being in the same space was quite traumatic and like we changed our lives. So this is a piece of homework that I must have done like a year after me moving. So it's called my mama, my mother. The homework assignment was, on a writing in French about somebody that you admired. Okay, I'm gonna go translate at the same time. The person I admire the most is my mother. And she is a very special person to me. My mother was born in Canada, but when she was four years old, her family moved to Holland. My grandmother had seven children. My mother was the fourth child to be born. Her family were working class And there was a lot of things to pay for within such a big family like that. So she had started working when she was my age, 12 years old. And she started traveling every day after school to make money to save for her future. She had all different kinds of jobs. She washed dishes in an old person's home. She was a cleaner in a hospital. And she also worked in a shoe shop and also as an au pair. At 16 years old, she finished school and she moved to Amsterdam to study how to work with children with disabilities. She also then became a teacher. After her time in Amsterdam, she decided to travel all over the world 
And she really did. She went from Australia to New Caledonia, New Zealand, India, China, Papua New Guinea, Guadeloupe, the Philippines, France, Germany, Spain, Morocco, Brazil, and the United States, Vietnam, etc. So many countries. What a trip. Finally, she arrived in Japan where she lived in a Buddhist temple. <laughs> After three months, she moved to Tokyo where she met my father. They got married and had me. My parents were very happy and very much in love. In 1990, my sister Luca was born. And then after that, my brother Taro was born after that. And we became our own big family. A few years later, my father died after a battle with cancer that spread all over his body. The first few years were monstrously difficult. My mom lost 10 kilos and she became horribly skinny. My brothers were too young to realize what had really happened. And my, my siblings were too young to realize what had really happened. My mother is a very strong woman and she changed the course of our life by deciding to move us to Spain. In the years since my father has passed away, she has been so courageous and she has not lost her head. We've had a lot of problems, but we have survived. My father was a love of her life. And even though these things are painful, we have to continue to live. She showed me how to do that. That is why I admire her. What a piece of writing for a 12 year old. And in French. And in French as well. Was, was, was that like your third language by that point? Like he'd moved from. Yeah, I was like, my, I learned Spanish and French at the same time. But yeah. La, la personne que j'admire le plus est ma mère. Like the woman I admire the most is my mom. I was shocked to read this, you know? Like, I was just like, that is so deep. Like, that is such a fucking deep piece of homework for a 12 year old. And just made me think about so many things. It's like how the prevalence of death in my life or like how the, my father passing away like set the tone for my life but also that I experienced it through the discourse of my mother yeah you know, of her experience because I'm the eldest and how it made me think so much about like how I've always been this person mm -hmm. like taking on everyone else's feelings and feeling responsible for everyone and not dealing with my own pain yeah, I thought it was really telling the line in there that you read about your father being the love of your mother's life, because that, that's a phrase that seems like you would have got that through speaking to her and her, her telling you that. Like that's, It's really telling that, that phrase, I thought. Yeah, and the politics of memory, right? How much of what we remember is actually happened? Or did we not just happened, but did we experience and we feel? And how much, like, I can't necessarily really remember my mom losing all that weight for example and her being really traumatized or you know or that comment of specifically like my siblings were too young to understand what was going on there's actual like photos and video footage of me when I was younger like at my father's funeral and all of these things because there's another really trippy aspect to this which one day I will write about or talk about more at length but there's a documentary that was made about my family oh, at the wow. time that my father passed away around that time so 
unbeknownst to me, there's like, until really recently, I found out that there's like footage of my father's funeral on YouTube because of this documentary. Oh, goodness. And there's footage of me, obviously not really understanding what was going on, but taking my siblings and looking after them. And that is on YouTube. Like, imagine how crazy that was for me. Like, what is this thing? And like one of the most traumatic moments in my life being like publicly accessible and like people commenting on it. How did you find out about it? I suddenly remembered that we were part of this film when I was younger, but I hadn't thought about it in so long for those reasons, because there was probably so much trauma attached to it. And I've been able to weirdly see what I'm saying in this essay. Like I've been able to see it and watch my own behavior back, which is like, so trippy and how much of my life like I've decided to write and make public about a lot of painful things that have happened in my life and like seeing the process of my mother having done that too by deciding to go ahead with this doc that we were a part of and then me whether it's the book or like everything that's really kind of taken a step in my career right was like when I was really honest or something traumatic happened and that, that became part of my story but I think there's two sides to that, right? I think so much of women's storytelling is is entwined with trauma. So much of contemporary media being like, hey, this is the worst thing that ever happened to me and I wrote about it. But I think there's lots of different spins. Most painful things that happened to me were the most powerful things that also happened to me, you know? So I think there's like a different ends of the spectrum of how that is experienced or when you decide to write about it or tell that story. I think there's lots of different examples, but it just means like me writing about it in my homework at 11 years old, I was like, or 12 years old or whatever, I've just been like, wow, I've always been this person. That was really interesting to me. Yeah, there's a there's a lot that you touched on there that I think we were going to, that we wanted to talk about. I think... I wanted to just ask before though, like, do you think that having those like hyper visible moments and like kind of having those like tent poles in your life and career, do you think that that's part of the reason why nowadays you find yourself perhaps resisting more towards being fully visible online and kind of leaving things for yourself rather than allowing people to consume every part? Yeah, definitely. I think more and more that privacy is sacred. It's not that I won't ever divulge anything or decide to make work about something because, you know, our material, our life is our material also, you know, but I think the ways in which I share and how something like a platform like Instagram where, you know, our identities are constantly commoditized, right? I think there's something almost even more honest about just doing a sponsored post. Do you know what I mean? It's like, it is what it is. It is a hashtag ad, do you know? But like all this other weird, like they own all our data, all our information, how the app like listens to everything we're saying. If you've got the stories like mic enabled, then it's always listening to you. You know, that's why you get like, I started talking to my my brother the other day about getting like being interested in like psychics for animals, right? Such a niche (laughs) thing, such a niche thing, right? And then like I, I barely on Instagram, but then the other day, like I got a video promotion thing for like a dog psychic. I was like, like fortune teller. <laughs> yeah, and I was like, come on, this is too. That's not. <laughs> that is, you know. So I think space is important, and how is important, you know. And as we live in a more and more a world that is so embedded with technology, that our ideas 
of futurity are so like entangled. When we talk about the future, we talk about it in technocratic terms, you know? Yeah. We don't really talk about the future of like the spirit, the future of, we just assign it to technology. 100%. Just going back to something you said about how death has touched your life. Obviously, the death of your dad, I can imagine for anyone at that age would be incredibly impactful and, and painful. But how, you know, are there other moments in your life that you feel like have been actively impacted by that, you know, that you could maybe reflect on? Or But I think like death is figurative and also there's a chain reaction that happens when people pass, you know, because for me, it wasn't just my father passing away. It was also like, it also became a geopolitical thing because then I was moved away from, for example, my Japanese family. There were lots of repercussions, like, you know, my siblings moved and they were young enough to forget a language. And that's like ties to nationhood, ties to identity that were lost when there's like a bridge between people's families. So, you know, we went from speaking Japanese to never speaking it at all statehood for example when someone is undocumented or you take their documentation away like that affects their family members and so many other things can happen from one but I think also in terms of there's lots of people who I've crossed paths with that I feel like have had figurative deaths in my Mm -hmm. life you know that they haven't passed away but I don't we don't speak or don't have contact anymore and I think some of my relationships in my adult life have ended like that. And I feel like in some forms, they feel extra painful to me because they feel like a a familiar feeling is of a death, you know, of someone who you're never going to see or speak to again. Yeah. 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 I I think it's funny. I'd never thought of those breaks in relationships as figurative deaths. I'm, I'm really interested in that concept. I think for me, maybe it's that thing of like I always have that hope in the back of my mind that like maybe we'll reconcile or like maybe I'll reach out to them at some point but there's some there are some relationships where there's too much damage I suppose and it is like a figurative death as you kind of put it yeah yeah or friendships even you know of things that were just weren't right anymore and you just know it I think like once I make my mind up about something like I, I have so much love to give but once there's like a specific line crossed or something happens it's very I don't really come back from it, you know, or that's not, not, not as a rule, but yeah. Or when you know something is not good for you, you know, it's like how we abuse people and love and relationships, just like drugs or alcohol or whatever, you know, and like how do you, or the internet or social media, for example, you know, like when you know something's not good for you, how do you choose to continue to interact with it? Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. 
That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Plushcare.com slash weight loss. Want to get a chiseled look in the jawline? Sculpt and shape your jawline with added volume from Juvederm Volux XC. Juvederm Volux XC is an injectable gel specifically designed to be robust enough to improve moderate to severe loss of jawline definition. And it is the first and only hyaluronic acid filler approved for the jawline. Add volume to your jawline for a chiseled look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M dot com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Yeah. I wanted to talk a bit about the, um, that maturity that you were talking about and like kind of the weight or the perspective that you kind of had as this older sibling who, you know, took on the the position of my siblings don't understand what's going on, but I, I do. And I, and my mum has taught me how to, you know, how to go on living. And I wanted to ask, like, so serious. It's really so serious. I I actually could cry, like thinking about how, that burden that I was felt like I was carrying and how that like to an extent I still feel like I carry and how that really set the tone for my life like you have no idea it's like I almost knew how much it was going to affect my life like some kind of self-fulfilling like prophecy almost you know I don't know where that comes from but I definitely do believe in ideas of old souls and old karmic cycles and stuff you know because like I don't think that's what the average 12-year-old is like. Like, no. You know, I think that's what's shocking to me about growing up and interacting with younger people sometimes. And I think, like, wow, this year is still a child. And I also felt really emotional about it. And why I'm emotional now is, like, what's rare is I'm staying with my family at the moment. I haven't spent so much time with my mom since I was probably the time that I wrote this letter. We had a very fractured relationship when I was a teenager because I was so adult in my thinking and so observant and like there were choices that my mother made or like I felt like she was making at the time that I just felt like weren't good or like I started to see things or pick up on things because I I was just like that and I was literally just like I see you making choices these are things I literally said like I see your mistakes and I see how you make them. So I'm sorry you can't tell me what to do was literally how I was. So this really flipped. It went from admiration to like absolute, like we fought so much. Like I ended up moving out when I was like 16 because like we we were just, would bump heads so much because also that burden, like my brother and sister had such different relationships to my mom. 
as I did from this letter, even you can tell, like I was my mom's confidant and her friend. Yeah. Like reflecting the same language almost. Yeah. So, and by moving, it also affected our socialization. So she had less friends. And I just remember being embroiled in an adult's world for as long as I can remember. Like there was no, I feel like there was so much discussion that always happened around me, regardless of my age. Yeah, yeah. For better or for worse, you know, and I really want to be clear that none of this is a critique of my mom's parenting. It's more like, as I get older, I see her humanity, my humanity as a child. And I'm actually really grateful for this moment in time right now, because like, I would never have chosen to come home for months at a time. You know, like I always have something to do. I'd come home for five days in and out, but I don't know what your relationship with your parents are. So I don't want to make any assumptions, but, or just not even just parents, but people you've had difficult relationships with. Sometimes the only resolution is time. And the way we were living our lives or I was living my life was always on the run. Like I always had somewhere to go, a plane to catch, other work to do, blah, blah, blah. Like coming home was a pit stop for me. It was never like the trip. And like now we just hang out and we're like getting to know each other again. And also it means we can have more difficult conversations because it's not fair to do that when you only spent, you only know you're going somewhere, going to be together for like a handful of days. Yeah, exactly. You drop some bombs and you're like, Peace, <laughs> you know, like people don't feel safe. They feel very, all of us, you know, I think when we're critiqued and I think there's a, a place where critique with good intention and like in a safe space where you can be like, listen, I'm not trying to hurt you. I just want to, I just want to air this so we can air it and move past it, right? Like how come, how many of us in our family dynamics and our relationship dynamics have these things that we know are there, but because we're not brave enough or we don't want to, we want, we don't want to cause a ruckus or like, but sometimes you have to have a ruckus, but we can only do that with time, right? And so there's been a couple things that while I'm here, I can see what her trigger points are and, and be able to be like, let's talk and I'm not trying to hurt you I just see these patterns and how can we how can we move forward what do you need to move forward which I feel like is something that can only be done when you look at someone in the eye right you can't do this stuff over the phone which is like how I've always had my relationship with her you know like quick phone calls on the way on the bus somewhere on my way to something like pit stop and do, do you think this is maybe like, you know, you had that maturity and that insight into your mum's sort of psyche from a very young age, but maybe it's at this point in your life with all the things that you've gained, all the things that you've learned, that you're able to actually tackle some of the, the issues you had before it was more like, I'm going to cut it off. But now it's like, I've learned all these things. My maturity has developed and I can like actually talk to you. <laughs> do you know what I mean? I can actually talk to you about them in a way that isn't you know too hurtful for either of us. And it's funny, then it's sometimes seeing that your parent can't talk about it. Yeah, I know. I've had that as well. Yeah. You know, like it's too uncomfortable for them, you know, of like, we all become set in our ways, right? And it's really hard to get pulled up on something that you do. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I just think we're at a really interesting place. Even culturally, right? Do Do you find that generationally there's a difference in terms of how people of different ages and of different backgrounds end up approaching issues that they might have. And I think a yeah, lot of- Yeah, 100. Like, <laughs> like right? we're like the talking generation, you <laughs> know? Like, 
I just feel like you know, just finished therapy and yeah. yeah exactly exactly so funny and I think that crosses so many different boundaries uh, or different you know lines of identity right that it doesn't matter it's just like we are part of this newer generation that I mean, regardless of whether you're, you have the privilege of being in therapy or not, just like the discussion around mental health is just more, or communication. But there's, de- there's a definite difference between discussion and actual practicing of it ourselves. Do you know what I mean? Like vulnerability is a practice and it's uncomfortable. It always feels like scary, you know, but I know that I always feel better for saying the thing that I have to say if I feel, really feel the urge than not. Yeah, yeah. I think that's a really, really wise piece of advice and, and one that I would do well to remember on more occasions. So, um, yeah, yeah, like what does it mean to practice radical honesty with each other? Yeah. You know, yeah. like that is like all the little white lies and things that whether they're to ourselves even, you know, like what does it mean? Like to love someone is to also be honest with them, right? For sure. Yeah, I actually edited an essay not that long ago from a young person whose mum started practicing radical honesty um, when this person was like in their like mid-teens, so like 15 or 16, and their mum sort of sat them down and was like, ask me anything. And the conversations that they had and that this person wrote wrote about were just so searing. It was like they asked their mum about like her abortion and and they spoke in depth about that and, and a bunch of other stuff. And it just sounded like a really really far removed from my upbringing (laughs) you know just like maybe actually like a really good thing to do with your your kids like you know ask me anything I will be completely honest with you like regardless of like your age like um and yeah it got me thinking about I think this this particular mum had like found this like doctor online and it was quite like a like a process and they they went to the doctor and the doctor like sort of showed them how to behave but I I wonder if there's more subtle ways as you say that we can like bring radical honesty into into our day-to-day lives yeah and I guess there's only one way to find out that's the (laughs) irony what you think about them (laughs) yeah 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 Yeah, I think actually Charlie just to go back to what you were asking about like grief and the chain of when people pass or die or you know I think that's the the great mystery of life and grief right well what does it really mean to grieve and is there a start and stop point or all of these things of I still well what does it mean to process you know that term everyone uses like processing grief and now that we're actually we're in a global collective we're in death now we're not even just in the grief we're still in it you know like what does it mean like, I don't have the answers. I'm putting this out into the open. Like, what does it mean to process grief? Like, what does it mean to sit with that? It's such a mysterious language around it. Like, it makes, and not just mysterious, it sounds so cold. And once again, like, linked to technology and pro, like processing. Like, <laughs> like I, have, I have finished. <laughs> like, you know, and it's over. Yeah. As, as an adult, I feel like I miss my father more and more. Hmm. Right? as I see how much me and my siblings turn into more versions of him, you're like, how much stuff like comes through that is, that is a mysticism we can't even describe, right? Like for example, like me, my music taste or my, my brother's taste, like what we've done with our lives and our personality traits and stuff, you know, are so much like my, my dad, but my brother doesn't even really remember him. 
Like, how does this stuff happen? And I think like there's a channeling that happens, right? That we, I, I like to think that like we pick the same songs because we're in communication. And how I, for me, that makes the most sense to me, right? So as we get older, you know, I feel like I'm closer to him in some ways because I think about him in this different way and that we are in communication. So is that part of processing or is that just living with or, you know, but I think there's so much beautiful mystery to death, but we fear it so much, you know, and that's what I mean about death having been a part of my life. Like it set the tone, like my father passing away or moving to another realm because I, I don't even know how to describe it because I feel like he's so here. So, you know, it's just, it's, it's something I've learned to live with that is omnipresent every day in my life. I think this like this clinical distance from death that has been created, especially not just in Britain, but, you know, like in Western culture. Yeah, it's like we don't, as you kind of mentioned with the word processing, like it's like we don't even really have the language in the English language to to fully describe and, and get to the bottom of it. And I certainly know the feelings that swirl around my head in mainly in, in anticipation of grief. I, I don't feel like I am able to verbalise them very well. I think you're so right about the taboo around it as well, in terms of like it just having to be a discussion. Like I think we see grief as something that is like, when you can put um, the death of something away and like put it in the cupboard and like not have to revisit it, it not being present in your life. And that's almost what, le- it's like a self-perpetuating problem because then everyone thinks that that is what it is to heal is to not have to talk about something, not be thinking about something all the time. And then the opposite of that is that if you if you do think about something, then you haven't healed and you're not, you're still broken or you're still, you know, hit by it. So I think, so right, the conversation needs to be constant. It's something so continuous that if you see it as an end point that you have to reach, then you're never going to feel like you've succeeded in it. And also it makes us fear it, right? I think people are also having massive anxiety issues right now because everybody is reckoning with their mortality. Yeah. And I'm become learning to become a lot more comfortable with death. Yeah. You know, and I'm telling people every day, like, you know, that I feel quite at peace with where I'm at. And like, if I was to die, I want people to know that I'd be okay with it, you know, because I feel like I make the most of every day, you know, and like, I want... I want to share that feeling, you know, because I think like we are born into such like in the, in Britain, the US, these kinds of very capitalist orientated countries of like, we're embed- our lives are embedded into these progress narratives, right? Of like, I haven't done the thing, I haven't accomplished enough. Yeah. Like people have to feel like they accomplish before they die. And that is so fucked up, right? That we, then and that structures how we experience our everyday. Mm. like wow I just saw an amazing sunset like I feel great like like, no I didn't get a number one book on the New York Times bestseller list I can't die yet like it's literally (laughs) how people think and not to say I haven't been one of those people in the past but that wasn't an honest version of me I think that's such a point though like (laughs) we want to achieve stuff so that we can die like for what end so that you can enjoy it beyond the grave like why why must you achieve certain things before do you know what I mean I think you just you blow my mind with that it's just like I think it's about to be remembered people want to be remembered right and 
that is ego shit. Like, yeah, it really is. Yeah, I love that. That's given me a lot to do. Have you seen Soul on Disney? Yeah, I just watched it. Yeah, I, mean, <laughs> I was like, this is my shit. Like, <laughs> I looked at my brother. I was like, in my mind. <laughs> um, but yeah, I just think it's an interesting thing. Like, what does it mean, especially when we we think about like liberation movements and you know all of this stuff? Like, what does it mean mean to live as if you were already free, right? Yeah. Because like. I can't remember who wrote this the other but I read such a long time ago that like anyone who writes like works in activism works in science fiction right because yeah. they're like working working towards a future that doesn't exist and might not ever exist so if you live in that frame like what does that mean to practice like freedom is the thing that I cherish the most okay and like what does that mean to give that to yourself you know freedom from all these other narratives or however someone else perceives you or all these other power structures, like only you can liberate yourself, right? And it's not to say that you're not going to have someone do some racist bullshit on you or, you know, it's, it's it, but what does it mean to, to live like that in your head, in your, in your heart? And like, even when I'm entering all these new spaces, you know, whether that's in relationships or in school systems, friendships, like all of these things, you know, like, what does it mean to live as if you were already free yeah it's a gorgeous way of sort of capturing your mindset I think and it reminds me of a book I read by a writer called um Akweke Amize they wrote this book called Pet in 2019 and basically the future they've imagined is like basically an abolitionist future like where there's like no prisons and all the, the other things and it is, is literally yeah. my fave like they okay. are, oh, cool. they're um their memoir came out today or yesterday as well. And I'm like, they're just like a force to be reckoned with. When I think about writing as mysticism, I think of a quickie because like there's something that comes out of them that is just like, it's not of this world. Otherworldly. It's, uh, it's otherworldly, but also it's just magical. You know, it's, it's, there's something magical about it. And I've never read anyone like that you know and just and and plays by their own rules and also like the amount they can write and how like every six months we just got a couple of uh, final questions for you what advice do you think you would give to your to your 12 year old self who's writing that letter who's sort of taking in all of this stuff from your your father's death your mother's emotions trying to uplift your siblings what would you say to her if you could go back you know what I think about when people ask me questions like these, I always had a nifty answer, you know, but the older I get, I think I won't say anything Mm. because it's all about the process. I feel like this now and I'll feel different in 10 years. And I feel, and I would never rob myself of that experience anymore of the learning and of the, like of the journey that is, my life like I don't want to shortcut it you know and I think like all of those things happened for a reason or like they were my way of learning you know like you know in my 30s going to university for the first time right and being in a classroom space for the first time since I was in high school and you know I I feel so socialized to a lot of the conversation or like a lot of the the very radical things that we're talking about I've lived you know, like the context for like, I felt those things. I've known those people. Every quote unquote mistake, 
you know, all the pain, all, all the suffering, but all the laughs. I've had so much joy in my life. That's the thing, like for as much pain, I have lived the other side to that, you know? And also maybe I am joyful because by nature, because I've also felt so much pain. If anything, I would say just go easy on yourself, you know, but that's not something that someone can tell you. you just think you're being patronized. You know, you're like, like any advice from an older person to a younger person just sounds straight up patronizing yeah. <laughs> most of the time, you know, when you're younger, you think you know everything. Well, I, well, listen, 12 year old me. <laughs> she did know everything. <laughs> Definitely felt like I knew everything and I did it. But this is my journey, you know, and I think like that gives me comfort to know that we are constantly shifting and changing and evolving. But at our core, that we also, there's aspects of us that stay the same. And I have to say, like, seeing how other people have grown up and all their different social expectations and things like that, I have to say, at least my mom never did any of that. And she's just let me find my own way. She's trusted me to do my own thing. And that's what I would have to do to my younger self now, you know, I'm just like, if you need me, I'll be here. But like, make your choices and live, live your life, just fucking live your life. I think that's such a good note to end on it. And we actually had someone that we talked to about the idea of like remothering. And I think the way that you've like looped that back round to your own relationship with your mom, it's just like chef's kiss. <laughs> yeah, thank you so much, Naomi. It's been such a pleasure to have you on. This has been an II Studios production. Thank you so much for listening. We really hope you enjoyed this episode. Don't forget, you can sign up to become a member at gal-dem.com for access to exclusive discounts with our favourite brands and partners, early access to tickets for Galdem events, an advanced copy of our annual print issue, and so much more. Make sure you're following us on all major social media platforms at Galdemzine for the latest independent journalism or visit our website, which is gal-dem.com. Galdem has a book, I Will Not Be Erased, Our Stories About Growing Up as People of Colour. It's available in all good bookstores or online. If you loved this episode of Growing Up with Galdem, be sure to subscribe, rate and leave a review. We'll catch you on the next episode. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. 
For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hey, folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues, your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist-approved, so fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. 